I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. In part two, Becca has realized this man she's trying to date and save has reduced her life to practically nothing. She has come to a place where they need to go their separate ways. Listen to how she is handling it in this, the final episode in Becca's story. You get to the point where you can't have at least any male friends. That cuts off half the possibilities right there, even though it's platonic and yeah, you're not looking for the next guy, so to speak. You know, you're just meeting with somebody, talking with somebody, getting a different viewpoint on something, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, you can't do it because I'm afraid that you're going to slip away from me. In the meantime, of course, he can play the field. Yeah, I really couldn't even have female friends. I couldn't, har- I mean, he was so jealous over everybody, constantly thinking that. Pure isolation then at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he could have, he would have isolated me from my kids and my family. But that was, that was one thing that I really didn't allow him to do. So in the meantime, throughout this eight years, did you have your business during all that time? Yeah, my business has grown a lot in the last eight years. And so he didn't affect my business. He tried to affect my business. Like if a man messaged me to paint or to, you know, work for him, it would make him incredibly insecure and jealous. It caused so many problems. If I had to go to work and this, it was a guy who hired me. I just knew when I went to work that day, it was going to be a very long day because he was going to be blowing up my phone. He was going to be creating so many issues for me that day. And probably most clients are men, as it turns out, I would think. Yeah. or Well, no, it was a a lot of women. And now it, it has grown to where it is more men. So he definitely would have a hard time now. But if I, and even if I had to work in a town that he thought there was a man in that town, he would like just randomly pick guys, <laughs> think this guy's an issue. And I don't even know why. I'm like, why do you, cause you know, it's like something about him made him feel like this guy was going to be a problem. So if that guy lived in this one town, if I even had to go to that town for any other job that had nothing to do with him, just being in that same vicinity of where whoever this person was that he decided was an issue, it was just going to be a bad day. Yeah. He figures you're meeting up somehow. You're going to meet up with that person. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you think there's a principle in life, which is the things you hate the most or the things you hate the most about yourself? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. He, um, he thought you would do what he would do. Under those circumstances, everything that he was doing wrong, he was always accusing me of doing wrong, you know, of me doing. And the mere fact that he can see himself doing it, he figures like, bet everybody does this. Exactly. And that's what I would kind of tell him. I'm like, just because that's something that you would do doesn't mean that I'm going to do it. So, Hmm. and another thing, it just makes me think of another thing, the GPS location, like on the phone and on Facebook or things like that. I think, I don't know exactly how it works, but it seems to me like if you're not on your phone for long, like for multiple hours or something like that, that it'll put your dot 
in the area that you are, but maybe not exactly where you're at, you know? So like I would go to bed at night and he'd be looking at my location at 3 a.m. And it looks like I'm at the neighbor's or across the alley or something. He thought I was like sleeping with the entire block. And I'm like, it, like everybody around me, like I'm just like the block whore or something. You know what I mean? I'm just like going around to everybody. It was crazy, you know? And I'm like, I can't, I, I told, I just tell him, I'm like, I don't want to shut off my location because then it causes more problems. But I have to shut off my location because you can't even believe me that I am where I am. So yeah, it was just, that's just another thing that I thought of. <laughs> I certainly hope that you never receive a message or see him or have anything to do with him. You have eight years of being beat up in a lot of ways by this guy. And you're such a uh, savior to this guy and he knows it. And you're fully capable of doing it again. I just hope that you can get at least emotionally busy with something else. I know that mentally you're busy and physically you're busy with your business. But on the other hand, you feel sorry for people and you hate to see bad things happen to people you once cared about. But this guy is is uh, the, the ruination of you potentially, you know, really completely. That's no good. And I've gotten to a point to where, and this is going to sound really, you know, cold, but I've gotten to a point to where it doesn't really matter to me what happens to him at this point, because there's nothing that I can do to change it. He's going to do whatever he is going to do. And there's nothing that anybody else can do to change that. He He's making his choices. And, you know, if he ends up back in using drugs and abusing women and that's just something that is going to be his choice. I don't think that he'll ever have a healthy relationship. I know that I can go on and have a healthy relationship and I'm not ready for that now. And I probably won't be for a while, but I know that when I'm ready for it, I'll be able to have a healthy relationship. And I don't think that he is capable. I mean, he is, if he wanted to, he could go get therapy and he could get help and he could make different choices, but he doesn't want to. So I just don't think he'll ever have. He'll, I just think it'll always be drama for him. Anybody can be an abuser. Anybody can be a victim. The other part of that is the other side of that coin is that anybody, if they really want it bad enough, can stop being a victim and be a survivor. And anybody, if they really want it badly enough, can stop being an abuser. But it's a lot of work. And I, I would imagine, I don't have research backing this up, but from the conversations I've had and from paying attention for a long time, it looks a lot harder to stop abusing because they just seem to slide right back. It's kind of this go-to way of, if you can't get your way the nice way, you're going to get it the wrong way, the awful way. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to hurt somebody. You're going to threaten somebody. You're going to buy a gun and keep it in the house so they know you got a gun. So it's like, eh, I better go along with this and, you know, whatever it is, whatever they lowered over you. And, and then in his case, he just destroys the place. I do believe that because it is like a way of life that he has learned. It's the way that he grew up, what he's always known. At the same time, I've seen him control it. He controlled his anger and didn't break anything for six months while he was in treatment at a facility that he lived, you know, and not once did he get out of hand. In fact, he was told that he was exceptional, you know, at it and that he, you know, was 
like a star, you know, like a star student sort of at that place. And he patient of the month kind of thing. Exactly. And did amazing. And then the moment he comes back home, he does it all over again. So he controls it around. Doesn't have, he seems like a very chill and relaxed kind of a guy around everybody else. Um, he's a very, really good friend to people. And so, you know, they don't believe you that this is the type of person that he is. They don't see it. So he controls it and when he wants to control it. So I do think that if he did focus on, I mean, just like drugs, he got himself out. He's been sober. He made those choices to finally go and get help for it. He couldn't do it without help. I mean, he has to have accountability and he's living in treatment, but in a, in a sober living, but he, he's doing it. You know, he goes to meetings. He keeps up with it. If he really wants to change this part about him, he could do intensive therapy and he could continue to, to work on it, actively work on it. And I think that it would make a big difference for him, but he doesn't think that it's something that he needs to work on. You know, he's just going to blame everybody else and be angry about it. So that's the way it works oftentimes because something triggers it. And then, then they look at, well, you're the one that said the things that made me so angry, or you're the one that was out that evening. And, you know, I didn't want you to be out. And so, yeah, I lost yeah. it. But you can thank yourself because I told you not to go out. He controls it just fine when he's trying to get what he wants and to get you back. And so I do think that it, it's choices that they make. And mm -hmm. I understand that, yeah, it's not just something that's going to change overnight. They definitely need to work on it. I also believe that the reason that it doesn't change for so many people is just because usually somebody that's an abuser doesn't think that they need to go out and get help for it and change it. So they don't work on it. They don't want to do the work. Exactly. A couple of things, just touching base on not only addiction, but then the abuse. First of all, like I was just saying, the choices, that everything is a, is a choice, that they, they choose to call. You know, they may have grown up in this way and have learned these certain things, but they choose to call you names and they choose to not call you names when other people are listening you know they choose to pick up that plate of food and throw it against the wall when it's just the two of you but in there if they're in a room full of people and they're angry about something they choose not to do it at that time so everything is a choice they choose to continue to put you through this pain and this hurt and all of this abuse when they know, you know, instead of choosing to go get help for it, I mean, they could make that choice to go to therapy, to have the accountability and to work on these things. But instead, they choose to continue to do this to people. So, and, you know, it's all a choice. I mean, they choose to lie. They choose all of it's a choice, I believe. So just like it's a choice for us, you know, it's a choice. For us as the victims to, do we continue to allow this person to manipulate us and take us back? Or do we choose to finally set boundaries and take back our life, you know? And, and yes. at this, at this point, I'm choosing not to allow somebody else to have the power over my happiness and the way that I feel during the day and the way that I feel about myself. That's only up to me. And I'm not going to give him that power anymore. So that's one thing. And then another thing about addiction and 
And same with this is, you know, and I, and most of us are in this position because we want to help somebody. We see them and we think we can help them, but we can't help them. We can't, there's nothing that we can do to change this for them. I mean, like I did everything that I possibly could to help this man. And Mm -hmm. all that it did was help him get further into it because he was, it was enabling him. You know, the best thing to do is, I think the best thing that I ever did it was the hardest thing that I ever did, but probably the best thing that I ever did was throw him out of my house. I mean, he showed up at my house one time and he was homeless and he was so thin, you know, drugs. And, I mean, just because of the drugs and everything. And I, it was like zero degrees out, I think negative, you know, getting down to the negatives. He was trying to, you know, stay at my house and I had to make him leave. And that was probably one of the most, that was the most difficult thing I think I ever really had to do was knowing it was going to be negative degrees and he had no place to go. And I couldn't allow him to stay at my house because he was using drugs and I knew that he could get violent. So I had to tell him, if you want to go to treatment, I'll take you to treatment. But if you don't, then you really need to understand that it's going to be super cold, you know, so you either can choose to go to treatment and I'll take you there. But if not, you have to leave my house. And he left. So, and I cried afterward because that was really hard to throw somebody out like that. But, but I realized that, you know, and it was right after that, that he finally did go to treatment and that it actually stuck this time, you know, for now anyway. So finally understanding that the best thing to do to help this person was to not help him. Mm-hmm. That was hard, but I think that's something that people need to remember is especially dealing with somebody in addiction, any of these things, the best thing to help them is just don't, don't help them help yourself instead. It sounds selfish, but you need to just think about yourself. And that gets lost in all of these stories because that person is relying upon you to help him, period. He's not thinking that you need to help yourself at all. And then you kind of buy into it. You're doing the same thing. You're helping him all the time. In the meantime, your life is going down the drain little by little. Mm-hmm. I guess that's all part of trauma bonding, right? I mean, you could you could yeah. write a, a book about trauma bonding, which is... Yeah. Which is a twisted relationship. It's awful. I think that it is a lot. Trauma bonding is a lot like addiction in the way too, because like with meth, meth is like when they use drug, when they use meth, it increases the dopamine in their brain by so much that it's like this high that it's, they just feel amazing. And I feel like that's comparable to the high that you get when they're love bombing you, you know, you just feel so good. And then they come down from it and they just, feel so bad that they all that they want is to get that high again. So then after they've been love bombing you and then they abuse you or something, you're so low and then you just want to feel good again. So you go back to them to get that high again. And that's what causes that addiction is you're, is just, you're constantly going back and forth. And it's just so hard just to pull yourself away from that. It's so hard. It's strange to be connected by something that doesn't work for either one of you at all. It's just so evil and insidious the way it works. Yeah. You know, there's something you wrote in one of your emails to me, and I'll read it. You wrote, I am a successful business owner where I travel to do my work. I own my own house, and everything else about my life and my family is wonderful. At the end, I knew I needed to cut him from my life, but the thought made me feel sick because of the addiction. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Every time that, I mean, I, I, I've known for years, really a long time that I just needed to let him 
go from my life, you know, that I couldn't have that contact with him. But the thought of never seeing him and never speaking to him again made me feel so anxious. And, you know, like my, it just gave me those feelings in my stomach of feeling so anxious, not having that connection with him, even though I knew that it was so toxic and not something that would, it would just always bring me down. And it was hard to get away. That is an interesting thing. I remember I was driving in my car and I heard someone talking about addiction and it could be anything, could be addiction to gambling, video games, drugs. So often with addiction at the time that it's happening, it feels really good. But then afterwards it feels so bad. Mm -hmm. It feels so bad. You're thinking, why did I do that? I did that again. I did that to myself. I can't believe I did that. And then time passes and it's like, Ooh, you know, I do have some extra time here and okay. And they dive right back into it. And then after they beat themselves up a little bit, that was a bad idea. Look at me now. Look at my life. Look at my relationships. What was I thinking? That was crazy. I told myself I'd never do that again. And it just goes over and over and over. And you just keep, feel so good, feel so bad, feel so good, feel so bad. Yeah, same same thing. You know, I, I get out of it and I'm like, Oh, I I just never want to see him again. I don't want to talk to him, you know, but I'd always still miss him and feel like just that connection. I wanted to keep that connection alive. And then next thing you know, I was in it more than I wanted to be again. And then I'm like, here I am again. And now I just have to, you know, like I could, I didn't want to just cutting it off is really dangerous and scary. I, I just want to tell you some of the things that he had said to me. I made notes about it so that I wouldn't forget. Mm-hmm. When we had broken up, when I found out that he was talking to other girls that time when I told you that at that moment, I sort of knew at that point that I really was never going to be able to trust him again. He would just call and call and call and text me all the time. And he would use different phone numbers or social media or you know things. And if I blocked him or anything, it just seemed to intensify in another area or another way. And so I sort of felt like it was better just to not block him kind of, you know, and just to, I basically, I would just pick up the phone and just continue doing what I was doing while he was sitting there on the other end, just saying these things, because at least then he would just, after that, then I would have a a moment where I didn't have my phone constantly being blown up. Mm -hmm. He would say things like, I hope that you get in an accident and die on your way home. I hope, I mean, I want, he started like comparing himself to Richard Ramirez, the serial killer. Oh, he said, I want to watch you die. Just things like that that are really scary to think about now. Sure. They are of course terrifying. And thinking about these things, I kind of also, there was something else that had happened that things that really made me realize how lucky I was that I didn't get more hurt than what I did. I've come out with just a couple of scars, you know, or like some, and then all, you know, all these memories and, but for the most part, physically, yeah, I had lots of bruises and injuries, but for the most part, just a couple of scars, but I'm really lucky because There were things like he had thrown things at me, like he threw a knife down the stairs and I was getting ready to walk up the steps and it stabbed into the wall in front of me. Oh, gee. I was walking out of his house. He picked up a baseball bat and he threw it so hard 
that it went past my head and it probably flew 30, 25, 30 feet past me and then hit the fence on the other side of the yard. I was walking. And so he, he was in his living room and he threw it as I was going out the door and it went out the door and hit the fence on the other side of his yard. And with the strength that he threw it and as close as it went past my head, if that would have hit me in the back of the head or something like that, I just think about that. And I think of how bad he could have injured me so many times or, or killed me. Sure. Killed you. Yeah. Yeah. And one time that he was angry with me and I was gone. And when I came back, there were stab holes all over in my bed and like in the middle of my bed, there's like seven or eight stab holes through my blankets into my mattress and just things like that are really scary to think about, you know? I mean, it's kind of a surrogate for you. Let's be honest. Exactly. When he'd start saying these things like comparing himself to Richard Ramirez and that he wants to watch me die, it's really hard to not believe that he really might mean some of that stuff. Just sitting here listening to it secondhand is terrifying. Yeah. Let alone you know the person, they know you, and they know where you live, and they know how to come into the house, so... I guess that would. I'd be unnerved years later, sure. Well, it's weird because when it was happening, I didn't see it as terrible as it is until I, like I said, until I was listening to these other stories. And then all of a sudden I'm realizing how scary that was, that is, and how scary it should have been for me. And that I just continued to stay with him. And there's plenty of people that heard those kind of threats. And one day they they came through with it. Exactly. I'm going to do all these things to you. And then one day they did all those things to that person. And you're never going to hear the story because they're buried somewhere. Yeah. It's over. Exactly. Right. And it's really scary to think about. So I'll say a prayer tonight that you never fall prey to him again. And you just have to go zero tolerance and not even, you know, 1% of him can come back into your life. Just let it be. I mean, you gave him eight right. years, you gave him every possibility. You were physically scarred and emotionally scarred and you are on the healing path and you have so much to look forward to. You have a business that's thriving. Mm -hmm. There's just so much upside to it. And you just have to look at him as he will ruin whatever you really like about your life. He's just going to ruin it. Exactly. It hasn't ruined you yet, but there's still time. So you can't let that happen. It's just a total zero. Just bail out, hang up, you know, whatever you have to do. Yeah. He'll definitely slow me down. Yes. I, I get to travel a lot now. And if I would have, would still be in a relationship with him, that probably wouldn't be able to happen because of his insecurity, you know, and jealousy that I don't think that he would, and, and not only jealousy thinking of like other men, but jealousy that I have something that he does, you know, that I'm doing something success and I'm successful or I'm right. doing something good that he's not doing. So you have things to look forward to. And he has uh, his, his idea of a good day is bothering somebody. Yeah, exactly. So he would continue to bring me down and I just don't want to let somebody do that anymore. So I, I feel like once I'm finally completely free of his grasp that he's had on me, then I look forward to, you know, what's in the future after that. Well, don't forget that. Yeah. <laughs> it's still pretty recent, you know, so really yeah. maybe you have to put a bunch of signs up around the room that says no. And every time you look up, you see the word no. It's like, oh, that's right. That's right. That's the answer. I keep making this list on my phone every time that I think of something, I write it down on this list. And so I'm listening to these podcasts constantly and, and books and just constantly trying to remind myself, just don't forget, 
you know, don't, don't downplay it. Don't forget. And I'll tell you so much about what you said today. I have heard it by a lot of people. I mean, really, it's just, I did another uh, interview earlier today and so much of this from a diagrammatic standpoint, very similar. Yeah. That's why sometimes I can kind of guess the next part because I just feel like I just heard it. Yeah. And I've heard it many, many times. I just listened to Stephanie's, mm -hmm. the one that you did for her. I felt like there were so many things about her story that sounded very similar that I could relate to. I think that was the one that I feel like I can relate to the most that I've heard so far. Good. You know, yeah. Well, Stephanie, Stephanie part one and two is Stephanie and part three is actually her current husband. A good guy, okay. a really good guy. Well, look, Becca, thank you so much for giving us this time and for taking us down this path, which you haven't taken anybody from beginning, middle to today with anybody. You know, that's really quite an honor. That And, and uh, I really have a lot of respect for you. And I, and I obviously feel the same coming back the other way that, that you trusted us with your story is what I'm really trying to say. It is a huge responsibility at this end, but it's also an opportunity in telling these horrible stories that others will be touched like you have, that they'll hear things and they'll say, wow, I didn't think it was that bad, but maybe it is that bad. Maybe I had to talk with a counselor somewhere, or maybe I had to seek help somehow. There's the National Domestic Violence Hotline out there. You can call it anytime, 800-799-SAFE, 800-799-SAFE. Anybody can call any time, any day of the year, 24-7, and just get some advice. Just talk with somebody. Even if you're thinking, I don't know if I'm in a, a violent relationship or we just don't get along, we're not cut out for each other, but do something. You know, really seriously, when you hear stories like Becca's today, at least leave the door open that, that maybe you need to seek more information or maybe those feelings like you had of love bombing, things happening too fast that stuff that, you know, maybe that's, that's an opportunity to, to, to really safely bail out of that situation. And if it is that controlling and that awful, again, talk with somebody who works in a domestic violence agency or call the number I gave and get some advice because someone who is really controlling, somebody who's really bad news is not going to let you go and just say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore and get the keys and walk out the door. Not going to work like that. They're not going to let you go easily. If people are giving you warnings like they were to me, listen to them. You know, I, I didn't listen because he was showing me something else. But then there were these people that were coming up to me and saying, you know, he's not good. You need to, he's not somebody that you should get into a relationship with. And I chose not to listen to them when there's multiple people. And I chose to listen to this one person who was telling me something else. And so, you know, definitely listen to the people around you because they've seen things. And I also just want to say thank you because when I messaged you and you emailed me back right away, I was like, oh no, now I, now I really do have to do this. You know, I really have to talk. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect you to, I honestly didn't know if I'd get a response or not. And so I was really excited about it, but also super nervous when you did message me back. Nervous because I've never really told my family or my kids, you know, for them to hear this kind of scares me a little bit for what, how their reactions will be, but excited because I thought this is going to be a great opportunity for me to really start this process of moving forward. And I feel like if I talk to somebody on a podcast, 
then I really do need to stick with it. I can't go back on it now. You know, I'm like, I've really got to, I've just got to follow through with what I know I need to do for myself. And so I appreciate you messaging me back. There's a North Star out there with your name on it, and you need to keep aiming for that. And that's the one thing you need to aim for. And you know that. You know that in your head, but you have to know that in your entire being, that it really is all about you. It really is all about you. And you've you've tried it the other way. You've tried to be the Mother Teresa to this guy. And it just, they're going to take and take and take, and then you have nothing. Exactly. They're going to mess up all the good parts of your life. So yeah. You're a young woman and you've got a long ways to go. And so it's all white space for you. It's all good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's really, I knew that this would be a great thing to do because it would help start that healing process. And I do feel like it's given me a great jump start. I feel really good after being able to finally share some of this stuff. And good. I do have an appointment with my therapist tomorrow. And so I'm looking forward to being able to, cause I've talked to her before, but I've never really, I've always just sort of like, yeah, everything's good. You know, I didn't ever really get into a lot of it. And so I'm looking forward to talking to her and letting her know that this is something I really need to focus on doing this and being able to talk about it has really given me a good start for that. And I'm, I feel great. Thank you. I couldn't be happier than to hear that from you, you know, that you can carry that over and you know, that's uh, it's a huge step you made today in the last, you know, hour or so. Yeah. Huge step. Yeah, it, it's felt great. So appreciate you giving good giving people the opportunity to do that and open being open to responding to everybody and hearing everybody's story. Everybody's story is different. It's different by diagrammatically. You could put them all on a template. Yeah. I'm telling you right now. Different, but the same. Different. Yeah, true. Different, but yeah. exactly the same also. The bits and pieces that hang on the template are different, but boy, I'll tell you, it uh, it rolls the same way every time. We all experience it different, I think, is what I mean, is that as far as the severity of how we feel, but even if it's not, even if it's just such a minor thing, it's still wrong. You know, like, like there was a, I can't remember the name of who she was, but she said he threw a pillow at her and she was like, you know, kind of saying, but it's just a pillow. But the fact is, is that he did do it. And that's not treating somebody with respect and kindness. And that is still abuse wanting to do some, I don't know. It's still, it's all, it all comes under the same, you know, the same category. That's a woman who lives in London. That was hers. Okay. Yeah. I think I've listened to all of them and now I'm going back and re-listening to some just because it is, it is helpful. It's like therapy, you know, all day I'm sitting here listening to it as I'm working and it's like, I'm surprised you get anything done. I feel like I really need that constant reminder right now, just so that in case he does message, cause I'm sure that eventually he will, then I'm prepared and I'm not going to feel vulnerable again. And you really are in a transitional time. Yeah. You know, it's not that long ago with this guy. It's fresh. Yeah. How much does he weigh? Odd question. I know, but how much would you say he weighs? 210. He's lost weight. Anybody who's been an addict, typically once they get sober, then they gain weight. Right. So he, he gained quite a bit of weight, but yeah, I'm thinking around 210 or something. Well, imagine somebody came up to you, a couple of people in this case, maybe three, and lifted 210 pounds off your back. That's what's going on right yeah. now. And I, I doubt if you want 210 pounds back 
on your Absolutely back. Absolutely not. No. Right? Yeah. Good. Picture 210 pounds on your back. You don't want that anymore. There's nothing positive that he's bringing to my life at this point. Like I've said, I, I own my house. I own my business. I own my vehicles. I, own, I, you know, we don't share kids together. We don't have anything together. And I always knew that when he left my life, my life was going to stay the same, except that I would miss him. Whatever I was getting from him, as far as companionship or just being there as a person, which was negative a lot of the times, would be gone. You know, he's not bringing me any positivity to my life. And so if somebody's not bringing you positivity, you know, in your life, then why are they still there? Look, you already qualify for sainthood. So you got that. <laughs> you can check off that box. You know, don't let him bring his garbage to your doorstep anymore. Just picture garbage and picture 200 pounds on your back and maybe you'll be all right. I got the visualization. And give my best to your therapist tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> I'll let her know that. Becca, I really thank you again for doing this. And, um, you know, I think we both got to a good place here. I learned a lot about this situation and some things I didn't know about before. And I think the exchange was very positive and really great to meet you. I wish you the best in your business, your life, your kids, everything. It's all good ahead if you just stay on that path and, and just do your best not to let your past catch up with you. Just let it be. Thank you. I'm definitely determined to do that. And I also wish you the best of luck on everything. You've been doing some amazing things and I've listened to your book. I'm almost done with it. And the things that you've done, that you've the good things that you've brought out of such a terrible thing to have happened to you. Yes. You just are doing some amazing things with it and reaching so many people. It's really sad that you had to lose somebody to do that, but all of the people that you have helped save from, I don't know, it, it just, sometimes you just wonder, you know, I, I just think that people, people have a purpose in this world when they're here and when they're gone. Sometimes you don't always know what that purpose is until later. And I just feel like you have just from this horrible thing that happened with losing your daughter, you've saved so many other people though. It's meant so much to me to hear your podcast and all the stories and, you know, listen to your book. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, I, I tell people, look, there's no scoreboard. You know, we'll never know what we accomplished together. Right. It's inspired by my daughter. She was a great person. She was very loyal, very loving person. I'm just focused on the thing I'm doing right now and hope that it, it does some good. And a lot of people seem to think it does. So I'll trust them. Mm -hmm. It does. And then there's the people that, that still, you know, it's silently, it's helping them still. That's definitely our mantra. Yes. That's good. Well, thank you very much. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Becca. Okay. Catch you later. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. This concludes Becca's story. I've been in touch with her since our interview, and she's staying strong and away from this abusive man. Thank you for listening. Thanks to my guests, for offering their stories on the When Dating Hurts podcast. This is your platform where victims, survivors, and others who have experience with domestic violence can freely add what they have witnessed. Through these stories, although challenging to listen to, we underscore the prevalence and horrific behavior of abusers over their targets and victims. With knowledge comes enlightenment and empowerment. 
If you feel your story should be included on this podcast, please email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. Thank you.